Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, first thing I want to say is a quick thanks to everybody who subscribed to Cool Mules, who rated it, who reviewed it, who shared it. Uh, you made it the number one show in the country, and it stayed there as I speak. It's been uh, number one on the charts for, for days now. We're not done. We want people to hear this all over the world. If you haven't subscribed yet, if you haven't reviewed it or shared it or told somebody in another country about it, please do. We want everybody to hear this show. Why can't you be more like the New York Times? That is the hectoring refrain that you've heard from me incessantly when criticizing Canada's failing newspapers. Stop chasing clicks. Stop chasing a handout from the politicians you cover. Stop chasing gimmicks. Fuck your pivot to video. Nobody cares about your tablet app. Just do the thing that you do. Do journalism. Do facts. Do truth. They're increasingly rare commodities. They're worth something. Do them well and ask people to pay you for that. Don't subtract money and staff from your newsroom. You're not going to sell more of a product by making it worse. Invest in your core news product and kill everything else if you have to. Be bolder and brasher than ever. Go big on investigations. Give the powerful a harder time than ever. Be more like the New York Times because they are proving that it works. They got the Trump bump. They are cherry-picking the best reporters in the business. And they are selling a staggering number of digital subscriptions all around the world. They are selling more digital subscriptions in Canada than Canadian newspapers. They're proving that there is a path forward for newspapers. But what if I have that all wrong? What if instead of building a business model that other newspapers can use, the success of the New York Times is actually preventing other newspapers from succeeding. That is the argument that was just put forth by Ben Smith in his first media column for the New York Times. The piece is titled, Why the Success of the New York Times May Be Bad News for Journalism. And in it, Ben Smith talks about how the Times has handily poached the best talent, including himself, I guess, from yesterday's upstart digital sites. Gawker, Quartz, Politico, BuzzFeed News, which Ben Smith used to run. They all used to make fun of the Times. Now they work there. Smith talks about the Times' rapid ascent in the podcasting business. Out of nowhere, they seized a dominant spot with The Daily. And now they're in talks to buy serial productions. And, perhaps most convincingly, he presents a troubling statistic. The New York Times isn't just leading the pack in digital subscriptions. 
It is dwarfing everybody else. Kind of like there's no real competitor to, say, Amazon, could we be looking at a future where there is only room for one dominant newspaper? That is the threat to journalism that Ben Smith describes. Is it a real threat? Or is it just a clever way for Ben Smith to flatter his new boss and himself while seeming to criticize the Times? Well, let's ask him. Ben Smith joins me from the New York Times in a minute. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Cindy Boyd, Brandon Andrews, Felix, Mary Reed, Daniel Abrams, and Michael Moore. My name is Michael Moore. I live in Toronto and I work in the tech industry. Uh, I started listening to Canada Land to learn about Thunder Bay. And I support Canada Land because it provides a unique perspective that's critical in a way that most other outlets aren't of Canadian news and media. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world. And BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're, if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. This episode is also brought to you by a new podcast you should check out called Residential Schools. This is a series about the history and legacy of residential schools it honors the stories of First Nations, Métis, and Inuit survivors, their families, their communities. And it's just an in-depth look at this really important part of uh, Canadian history, which I think we all think we understand. But uh, but hearing it from survivors themselves, I think, is important. And I think we don't necessarily understand it as well as we do. This is produced by Historica Canada, the nonprofit that you will know from their Heritage Minutes, which uh, if you grew up in Canada in the 90s uh, or now you will be very familiar with. It is a three-episode series focusing on a different Indigenous communities' experiences 
per episode. First Nations, Métis, Inuit. It is hosted by journalist Shanine Robinson Desjardins. The episode that comes out this week is called Métis Experiences. It features three Métis survivors who describe their time at residential school. Listen, go subscribe to the show, Residential Schools by Historica, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, this episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Turn your great idea into a reality. I don't know what your great idea is. There are a lot of great ideas out there. You might have a great idea that those hilarious conversations you have with your friends while you're drinking or getting stoned, everybody should be able to hear those. You need a podcast. Everybody should be able to hang out with you and your friends. You don't need editing. It's all gold. So the first thing you're going to need is a website. And Squarespace, I just built the Cool Mules website in Squarespace. I can finally tell you from a firsthand perspective, Squarespace does make it incredibly easy to take a beautiful template, and they have templates for podcasts. I do this in an afternoon. I'm pretty proud of myself. It looks pretty good. You can do this too. They have powerful e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything online, analytics that help you grow your site in real time. They empower millions of people to have podcasts, really, like millions of people. Head to squarespace.com slash CanadaLand for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch... Use the offer code CANADALAND. You'll save 10% off of your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash CANADALAND. Offer code CANADALAND. Hey, Ben. Hey, Jesse. So your column, it used to belong to to David Carr. You got big shoes to fill over there and in a very different atmosphere than, uh, than Carr was writing. Like, what does a media columnist write about now? Like, what, what, what should we expect from your media criticism column in The Times? So it's not going to be criticism. I definitely don't see myself as a critic. Um, I'm really a reporter. I, I do think the big story right now is consolidation and what it means and, and you know, big institutions getting bigger and facing in some way, you know, at a moment of populist revolt politically. I, you know, I, I, I don't even know what I'm going to write next week, much less preview columns beyond that. It's a little terrifying. So the New York Times, uh, which happens to be a newspaper and, and a pretty good one, actually did the thing that everybody tried to do and and successfully transitioned to digital, which a lot of people by now have concluded is just impossible. They did it. You argue that that is a bad thing for journalism. Why? Well, I think what worries me is that it looks like the American news business and maybe the global news business are, are starting to look like virtually every other business in this modern economy where you have a very small number of winners and a lot of losers, and, it's, and it becomes a kind of winner-take-all world. And, and I think in media, there is incredible journalism being done by the winners and you know by some of the smaller outlets that are struggling. But I think that the net of that is probably fewer jobs for journalists, fewer voices, less diversity, less 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 diversity of outlook in particular and less um and less local news i think to kind of make a direct line between the, the new york times ascent and dominance and and bad news for other organizations you lay it out a few different ways one of which is that you talk about kind of this um inspirational moment when you know i don't know 10 years ago when all these upstarts the gawker recode quartz politico it looked like we had all these these exciting new digital players who are going to afflict the comfortable, that's all done. And uh, and the people from those organizations, a lot of them are now working at the Times. I don't think you can blame the Times for that. That feels to me like those places were done in by other things. And I, and I wouldn't say they're done. A lot of those are still, are still have found us, you know, found a scale at which they can do really good work and continue to afflict the comfortable. But go ahead. 
where it seems like the Times is having a direct impact and w- w- the staggering statistic that you that you provide that the Times now has more digital subscribers than the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and the 250 local Gannett papers combined. So as the dust settles and the kind of ad-based business model that those digital upstarts were, were trying to build on, it doesn't look like that's going to work out. And subscriptions seem like that is the way for a newspaper to make the turn, you you got some strong support there for the idea that one player is is kind of sucking up all the oxygen. Yeah, and again, I mean, I think if you look at social networking, if you look at anything, it's never going to be just one, right? But but what you often have is one very very dominant player, a couple others who are at a half or a third of the size of that one, and then that line just drops very very kind of fast into the right, down, and, and there's not room for a lot of for a lot of others, and and um. And I think, you know, there are these sort of, the thing about that is it creates a virtuous circle, right? Like the Times has much better subscription tech and is a huge engineering team. The Times is able to hire more and more journalists with that subscription money. You know, the Times is better than it's ever been. It's getting better. Um, and so I think, I think what you see is that that kind of success feeds itself in this kind of economy where you can reach an infinite audience. And I think, you know, like uh, as the Times gets stronger and the whole user experience of it, uh, like you say, from the technological side, from sign up to just always adding value to what a subscriber gets. If they're making a play for that, you know, general interest daily newsreader and you're a local city paper, you're just looking worse and worse and trying to do more with less and less. The Times is plucking talent from you. Their whole offer is looking shinier and glossier. And your international coverage is not going to compete with the Times and your cooking section is not going to compete with the Times. You cite Times executives as saying they are looking for a way to help out their weaker cousins. And you present that without criticism. Do you buy that? You know, I do. I mean, I think that they they realize that this is, I mean, you know, the Times has never been operated sort of to maximize its margins every year. And I think they have a sense of responsibility they also, though, feel like they just escaped a near-death experience and they're not out of the woods. And the CEO of the Times told me, you know, we want to put our gas masks on before assisting our children, basically, like on the airplanes. I think that, you know, what local publishers would like to see is the Times selling a subscription to the New York Times and then saying, and by the way, we see you're in Minneapolis. Um, for $2 additionally, you can get a subscription to the Star Tribune and to sort of try to essentially get bundled into the New York Times I mean, that kind of bundling, you know, could be a really good way for them to move subscriptions. There's a lot of kind of devil in the details there, right? Like, is the subscriber's relationship really with the Star Tribune or is it with the New York Times? But I think the bigger picture in that is just that the Times says, hey, look, you know, you're comparing apples and oranges, places like the LA Times, the Chicago Tribune, those aren't really our competitors. They're in a different business, which is local news, and we want to help them build that business out. I think to some degree that's true, but in a way, like they used to be apples, and this economy has turned them into oranges, and the Times is like keeping them there, and there's no real path back up to being an apple, to extend that metaphor. Yeah, well, that, that metaphor came to mind when thinking about Times here in Canada, the idea that they're looking for a way to help out their weaker cousins. I just want to interrogate that a little bit. You know, some people have already pointed out, like, if you search for, uh, you know, a local city and, and newspaper subscription, if you search for Chicago newspaper subscription, the Times will feed you an ad uh, and they'll basically that local paper will have to outbid the Times 
to get that top link. So the Times is, is very specifically targeting local newsreaders. They want that subscription because they know it is an apples to apples comparison when you're competing with a paper that was trying to give you that all, you know, international news style, everything in one paper. And I saw this firsthand. I heard this from a Times executive. I'll tell you a little bit about the Times in Canada so we can talk about this from our perspective here. They noticed that they were already doing well without trying with Canadians buying like a weekend subscription or buying the digital subscription to the Times. And they moved in. They, they saw that the digital subscription that the Globe and Mail was offering was weak. They, uh, for a very cheap price, it cost them like, you know, two or three more r- reporters. They, they uh, built up their Canadian bureau. And then they spent a lot more money on marketing in Canada. And, you know, a lot of the data is behind a black box, but uh, some sometimes they let a little bit uh, of a breadcrumb slip out and I pay attention to those things. It looks like they're doing uh, as well or better than the Globe and Mail for Canadian digital subscribers. And they told me on this show, we have no intention to do the kind of like accountability journalism in Ottawa or certainly not in local communities. Uh, We're doing big picture stuff on Canada as a whole. We are not replacing local news, but they are fighting with our papers who are committed to actually keeping our politicians accountable in a way that the Times absolutely is not and doesn't pretend to be. So there is like a bit of a predatory role and a direct competitive role that I think is in conflict with this looking out to help our weaker cousins thing that you got from the executives. Yeah, and I I don't know if they see the Globe and Mail in that category or not. As a weaker cousin? Yeah. Globe Mail has said that they're going to go out of business if they don't get government subsidies. Is it the weakness part or the cousin part that they, <laughs> that they might not agree? Yeah, maybe, maybe it's the cousin part that I'm not sure about. Yeah. Can we talk about, like, I think that the real impact is on local news and where your argument, I think, is most concerning and makes the most sense to me is, I'll give you an example. When Catherine Porter, who's a New York Times reporter here in Canada who runs the Bureau, she did a feature on a uh, Inuit community that was decried by the Native American Journalism Association as a piece of parachute journalism and poverty porn. It was widely decried across Canada. I'm not asking you to, to uh, represent the Times journalism or, or Catherine Porter's piece, but it was the kind of piece that just um, inspires so much outrage and condemnation that if a paper were situated in Canada, I can't imagine them not responding and the reporter not responding. Porter never responded. You know, there was some kind of bland um, response from New York Times communication that they essentially stand by their work. And that was the end of it. I, I think that a paper has like a different relationship with its community when it's actually situated in that community than when it's, you know, providing like a global news service. Yeah, I think the Times, the Times, the sort of tradition of the Times international operation is just to do like kind of nation scale trolling um <laughs> you know uh, and, and and sort of and the economist used to always do this too it's like the new york times has written a thing about india then just be, itself becomes a huge story um i think you know i think they are shifting gradually into um in, in, into thinking about okay can we actually be part of this conversation i think you act differently when you're when in those two situations um Mark Thompson, the CEO, did tell me, this wasn't in the story, but that their international um, circulation numbers are growing at twice the rate of domestic, again, from a pretty small base, I think. Wow. But that that, 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 that is a place where they see real growth. And that, I mean, I think this makes sense for them, that there's, you know, there's, there is also a competition globally among The Economist, The Financial Times, a couple other outlets to be kind of the global second read. 
if you're a bilingual kind of Brazilian or Indian or well, monolingual Indian or a Chinese sort of, you know, uh, like somebody who's really well educated and really plugged into the global conversation. And, you know, it's a relatively small percent of people, but it's of a, of a, of a very large number of people. And I think the time, you're going to see the times going for those folks more and more. I even think that saying the global second read is is like uh, maybe a bit disingenuous because when you that's, add, that's my word, not theirs. So, yeah, I mean, when you really think about it from that reader's point of view, I think we're seeing the, the trend that like are people subscribing to two daily news sources on, on average, or especially when it comes to like general interest newspaper, like there might only be room for one. A lot of people just have Netflix. So if, if there's sort of just like one global news source and it's the New York Times, I could see it being in their interest to call themselves the second read because it allows them to evade responsibility for actually covering those communities. But if that's actually how consumers, how newsreaders are behaving, what does that mean for like for, for the Times and its responsibility? You know, I think a lot of this stuff is really wide open and it's very hard to predict. And I think that's, you know, that's, I think that you have, if you're in the local news subscription business, almost by definition, you're a, a wild-eyed optimist. And those folks really see strength in local. I mean, my own experience in a number of different parts of this world is that you can build something small and robust inside a community. You can build a local news subscription service and employ a handful of reporters. You can be a single newsletter writer and, 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 and get a lot of, you know, direct interest. You can produce a podcast about Canadian media and, and, and build a business, you know, enough to have a nice little office in downtown Toronto and, and employ a couple of people. But there, it does, I'm not sure that means that there's a path to the kind of scale and resources and that, that you had in the kind of late 20th century media business. Well, maybe that's the problem. Like maybe trying to solve the problem of how are we going to fund daily city newspapers, the kind of we've had for the last hundred years, that might be impossible, but that doesn't mean you can't fund local news. Like maybe it is just a question of like reimagining journalism to a much smaller scale. I, I don't know. I mean, I think that when you do that, you lose a lot. Like the, the these big newsrooms have a capacity to do two things that I think smaller places don't. One is the huge investigations where you ha- you know you throw a reporter out for a year to write the definitive a defin- big definitive story, and the other, which is a little more elusive, is that you have a reporter who shows up at city council meetings and maybe maybe she doesn't write anything that week, but her presence there means that those guys are much less likely to steal your money. Yeah, and and I think that's that. There's just this fact that, you know, the, the notion that somebody is watching the workings of government, even if they're not writing anything, is really powerful. And I think that is that's something that's gone away. And it's and you don't quite notice when it's gone because it's not like you were reading the stories about the city council. Um, but I do think the presence of just an independent pair of eyes who in some sense is standing for the community is really, really important. And, and that you see the operations of government change a lot when they're happening in the dark. Absolutely. I mean, that's sort of the, the, the core value. And I think people would pay for it. Maybe it just needs to be like better defined. Like, like if you if you actually put that value proposition to people say, will you give five bucks a month or whatever to have that just person? Just to, wa- to watch these guys. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think that the, this, the, there's this new New York City nonprofit, the city, whose function I think is, is a bit to do that. Um, but I think the jury is really out on whether there's, you know, whether there is subscriber money to do that. I think there's big philanthropic money is, is a lot of where it'll be coming from. In some way, there's, you know, the sort of reform-minded city elders um, are, are interested in, in in supporting that kind of 
that kind of journalism, you know, of course they have, they have an agenda too, a kind of reform agenda. That's often not exactly the popular agenda of, of a, of a city. Yeah. I can almost see something like the way that, you know, each section of the newspaper gets broken off and offered onto itself. Like the athletic takes the sports section, people will pay for it. Municipal, you know, accountability journalism could be its own service. Uh, every, every little thing could be kind of micro. And that might actually be something that, that, that who knows, like the Times could bundle that in a way that might be a more compelling package than the Times plus this lesser local paper, more like the Times plus a service that that is important. And that I think people, when people shift their subscription dollars from the Globe and Mail to the New York Times, they're getting a better newspaper, but I think they feel a bit guilty that they're they're divesting from journalism in their own country. You know, if there's some way you could just kick into that, I think people would do it. You know, I don't know. I mean, I think I think the the jury is out on that because there are lots of ways that you can you can subscribe to journalism. You can subscribe to your local newspaper. You can subscribe to a local startup. You can subscribe to newsletters. There's lots of people trying to make it work out there, and it is by and large not working. And there's nobody stopping you from going out and you know subscribing to any number of these places. I, I'm not optimistic. I don't think that there is sort of massive demand out there and just just looking for where to put their money. No, but there's never been massive demand in news anyhow. It was like 5 or 10% of the population is, you know, typically yeah, hard Yeah, and, and that includes audience. the things that are most I mean, I think the problem is, you know, the things that were most sought after in those daily publications, sports first of all, you know, has been sort of unbundled and you can get the athletic, you can get which is a great, you know, really great interesting new thing and you can just get your sports there or you can or, or a number of other places great investigations national global reporting also you you know the times and the washington post the wall street journal are going to outcompete your local publication for that and what's left often is the stuff that it's so important that it gets done but maybe you never read and then there's podcasts which you suggest are also sort of in danger because of the times in that the times has this kind of Oh, I don't I don't think they're in danger. I think it's just more you have a booming industry that is now consolidating like every other industry and you see you know, you see independence getting snapped up by a handful of big players. I don't know. I just hope you'll give me the exclusive on the Canada land acquisition. That's kind of you to pander to me like that. <laughs> when I see that wasn't a pander. Call, that was a that was a transactional reporting <laughs> request. All right, I, I can provide access then. I mean, do you, like we had a. I'm debate. a working journalist now, Jesse. Yeah, no, you, I, I'm, I'm envious. A month ago, you had a few dozen stories and dozens of employees to worry about. Now, now you got to make a column. It sounds good. It's kind of stressful, actually. I'm, I'm, it's my second day as we speak, so I don't know. We'll see. Day one, people were were into it, and, and day two, the knives are out. I could see. So you, I think you're probably off to a good start. It does seem like you were suggesting like um, the times is some kind of like I'm I'm more worried about Spotify in the in the podcasting like consolidation. Oh yeah, we had a debate in the newsroom about like uh, people see the acquisition of, of smaller companies as like um, a threat to podcasting, and I just see like we need as much legitimacy and and, and investment as we can get at this stage. It's still pretty early days. Yeah, but I think, you know, I think there's a huge question of whether there will be like a couple of vertically integrated players, Apple and Spotify, the obvious ones. And if you're and if, and who own a huge share of the of the production, and if you're not getting produced by one of them, it becomes pretty hard to find an audience. Um I think already, you know, and again, like I'm I'm no expert on this this industry and have screwed up various times in in attempting to work on podcasts myself, but it seems to me that right now it seems to me that a few years ago, it was much more possible for an independent producer to produce a breakout podcast with no 
special relationship or support or business development. And now that a lot of the either better funded independents who have like deep relationships with Apple in particular, or you have, um, or you have increasingly companies who are just owned by Spotify. Yeah. And, and, and iHeartMedia, I think, is, an, is obviously a third player with a lot of reach and distribution. And I think the Times, because The Daily is such a hit, has a potential to be a fourth. You know, maybe there'll be six. There aren't going to be 100. Yeah, it's what happened to blogging. It's what happened to the early sites. Like, it, you know, the, the, the inevitable march towards everything being a shitty mall is certainly coming to, to podcasts. But as, I don't know, like, we're kind of, like, <laughs> default set to skepticism and cynicism. But, like, you kind of have to take a step back and marvel at the Times in another way, if if there is going to be like a monopolization and one dominant player and winner take all, it's kind of shocking that it's a newspaper and not, you know, Facebook or Apple, who I think wanted to be that go to source for news and got their fingers burned. It's 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 better that it's the Times if it has to be somebody. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think I think I mean I wrote about that really just more as a sign of the Times is emerging power you know, as, as, as a media company, I do think, yeah, they're not going to be the, they're unlikely to be the, to dominate podcasts the way, the, the, the way they're dominating the news industry. I, I agree. That's the part I didn't find. Like there are bigger, bigger podcast outfits emerging. Yeah. I think if you want to, if you want to be freaked out by podcast, by audio consolidation, there was a piece recently arguing that the government should block Spotify's acquisition of the ringer as anti-competitive. And that Spotify is, is the consolidator people should worry about. And they certainly are the best position to be that. I mean, although Apple also has this huge, you know, is Apple remains the, the, main, the main player, even though they haven't quite managed to get their acts together. Well, the thing with Apple is that it's still just a free-for-all. It's just an indexing service, you know. Uh, Spotify could control all ads, uh, all content. But I don't know, it, it remains a point of light in, in like you can still kind of make a go of it providing audio journalism in a way that it's harder if you're just a news site with written content. No, and I think actually, right, and audio right now is just this incredibly exciting space for a number of reasons. I mean, certainly including this riveting conversation you and I are having here. That's kind. Ben Smith, uh, congrats on the new gig. Thanks for talking with me today. (laughs) Thanks, Jesse. That's Canada Land. I hope you liked it. You can email me about it, and I will read that email if you send it to jesse at canadalandshow.com. It has never been easier to support this podcast and to get ad-free versions of it and bonus content like uh, Ask Me Anything episodes. And uh, the way you do that is just go into your episode notes and hit the link. And, like, it's five bucks a month Canadian, not a penny more. And in, in seconds, you will have, bloop, it just puts the premium golden... Canada Land feed right into your app. And if you're doing that from a desktop, it works just as easily when you go to canadalandshow.com slash join. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadalandshow.com. There's a new episode of Oppo this week. I am really enjoying Sandy Garasino joining Jen Gerson as co-host. And the conversations they have are very different and are just so rich with detail and facts and heated argument. It is a great way to stay up to date on Canadian politics. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. Thank you for your support. <laughs>